Hello and welcome to a lock-in at the Crate and Crowbar. This week we're talking about reality TV and specifically and eventually the reality TV show The Traitors, which aired in the UK at the beginning of this year to much acclaim. At least acclaim from the kinds of trash people who watch shitty reality TV, which <laughs> absolutely includes us. Yeah. Uh, myself, Marsh Davis, and himself, Tom Senior. Hello, I am indeed an absolute trash panda when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> Well, I was going to ask as the sort of opening question, is reality TV actually good or are we just sufficiently bad that we can enjoy it? (laughs) I think it can be amazing. I think uh, it has the ability, like very few kind of dramas uh, can do, to actually become a cultural event that becomes a touchstone for almost everyone in your office or among your family. Uh, and it's a, a great source of uh, reality, sort of like, it's a great source of what's called a chat. Uh, and it's also a, a great source of kind of, it taps into that need to gossip and to really sort of uh, judge people, <laughs> which is, uh, <laughs> if you talk about, you know, uh, perhaps tapping into our worst instincts, nonetheless, it's, it's very, very gratifying. Uh, and the way that it, the sheer range of reality TV shows now, um, it's such a, a huge umbrella and there's so many different types of experience depending on um, the type of people you like, the type of people you hate or want to hate or enjoy hating with friends. Um, That's all of them, Tom. That, which is <laughs> pretty much all of them. Uh, like there's, there's sort of something for everyone to get into, um, whether you want the traitors I really enjoyed because it was basically 12 episodes and done. Um, but things like Big Brother, it was 24-7 live streams you could oh god yeah them just walking around it was it was wild stuff but people really got into it um mm. so it has this ability to sort of draw people's attention uh in a way that very so the only sort of comparable thing to big brother i think of as recently is like game of thrones maybe that was a kind of water cooler chat that loads of people got into it and you could reliably have you know exciting discussions about the plot twists but the plot twists sort of happen organically <laughs> mostly organically, um, seemingly by themselves on reality TV, and you don't have to pay millions and millions of dollars to render a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I would I would absolutely watch the version of Game of Thrones which cuts constantly to confessionals <laughs> where Daenerys oh, yes. is going, like, I can't believe he said that. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, we'll talk about the, um, oh, we'll get onto the uh, the weird kind of ticks that the oh, yeah. loads of reality TV shows have. That thing of cutting away to a completely different room to react to what's just happened. It's such a, it's very effective, but completely stupid if you think about it for like a second. So yeah, anyway, we'll get onto it. What's your, uh, <laughs> what's your relationship to like uh, reality TV? Well, I, I'm, I'm not, I was aware that there were always shows which uh, were reality TV, but were never called as such up mm. until the advent of Big Brother. So there were, st- there was stuff which involved, you know, the, the disgusting masses. Uh, projected on television you know there was cooking competitions and and stuff that predates bake-off this wasn't a new invention but something changed around the time that big brother came out because like you said it was such a a massive cultural event uh that consumed everybody's waking hours i think i was at university when the first one came out and Mm. Um, obviously being at university didn't have anything better to do uh, (laughs) uh, than to watch uh, idiots chat at each other um, 24-7. And occasionally fry an egg. Okay, yeah. (laughs) The camera's just zoomed in on them. (laughs) Really really weird. It's really weird. I feel there's there's something about the Big Brother that sort of metastasized into all of these other existing formats and made them more 
reality TV than they had ever been before. <laughs> uh, and and since then, I've kind of there's so many different splinters. Like I feel like uh, you know, obviously, uh, cooking shows have have imbibed a lot of that kind of. Uh, reality tv medicine then there are dating shows which we'll get into there's mm. like slice of life shows there are sort of basic popularity contests which hew fairly closely to the big brother format and then there are sort of more overt game shows which have a reality element to them uh, like the traitors or the mole which we're going to talk about um later but um, what have you? So, what kinds of reality TV have you got into since the kind of advent of Big Brother? In fact, was Big Brother a big, big deal for you personally? Uh, the first season actually mostly passed me by. Weirdly, I was kind of aware of it via articles and commentary on it, and then I got into it from the second one onwards. And I did fall into into the trap, well, not trap. I mean, it, it, I just couldn't stop watching it. I, I I didn't watch the live streams of them kind of pottering around, but I'd watch like almost every evening. And it's like an hour of stuff and there'd be a stupid task and then there'd be an argument and there'd be some bonding. And it was just kind of something just, I was completely enraptured with it. Uh, and looking back, I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> because uh, and I think because uh, Big Brother, even though it was a landmark uh, in the reality TV genre, I think he's right that the, this does come from game shows initially. That was kind of the original reality TV in many ways. Um, the thing is about, Big Brother after that is that the reality TV shows I watch now are so honed and so refined mm. uh, and the techniques that they use to draw you in and to kind of uh, give you uh, to pigeonhole, char- like pigeonhole characters and people who are real people by the way <laughs> uh, pigeonhole their characters very efficiently into uh, good guys and bad guys and uh, people you need to keep an eye on or people who are exciting or very dramatic uh, and so Big Brother now just seems very crude to me compared to the, mm. e- even the most basic reality TV shows tv show you'd, you'd see now um it's, it's surprising yeah. to me that it's still going like yeah uh, i yeah. watch other reality tv shows and occasionally there's like crossover contestants and they're like oh yeah i was uh, in big brother yeah, last year and like, it's still going yeah like yeah. why because it feels like it's been completely superseded by these much more kind of consciously structured uh tv shows and it's it's interesting we'll get into the ways that these different structures um, creates sort of incentives and uh, uh, game-like uh, structures even. In fact, I want to get into these shows from the context of game design to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but can we start off by talking, talking about cooking shows? Because oh, yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely uh, in love with cooking shows. I watch oh, so... I'm not a very good cook. Like, I can follow <laughs> a recipe, but I have no particular kind of uh, inspiration when it comes in the kitchen. And... Um, and yet, somehow, I'm absolutely drawn to things like Bake Off, which is the sort of the, the preeminent uh, cooking competition. It's, and I think, I think one of the things I like about it, which I think is a big change in the way that reality TV has uh, uh, has evolved over time, is that Bake Off is incredibly good-hearted. Yeah, and I think Bake Off has had uh, almost as large an impact on reality TV as Big Brother did, because as Big Brother was evolving and other offshoots were were being aired, they were getting meaner and meaner and more exploitative and finding more and desperate and often mentally unwell contestants to put through this kind of reality yeah. TV grinder. But then Bake Off comes out and it's, uh, you know... The, it's incredibly kind to people. It's very supportive of them. It tries to to make everybody in that tent have good relationships with each other rather than acrimonious ones. It selects people who are by themselves pretty nice. There's usually a couple of uh, messy people in there, but they're generally 
you know, quite together. They're, they're robust enough to survive the television cameras being pointed at them. And they're really diverse people and, and interesting people. And they're also talented at what mm. they're doing. Yeah, which is not true of, of really any of the celebrities who <laughs> who came out of reality TV prior to that point. These are all people who are talented bakers, or at least could become very talented bakers. And the show airs with this genuine love of food. Uh, uh, it's interested in the subject as well as uh, its uh, the contestants and and the, the drama that occurs around them. And there's sort of variably good banter among its judges and hosts. I I don't know if you're as big a Bake Off fan as as I am, but do do you have like uh, a favourite combo of uh, hosts? Uh, it's got to be the original too, and before it moved to Channel Four, Mel and uh, Sue. Mel and Sue. Uh, I just think because they've worked together forever, and that yeah. that rapport and banter and ability to sort of work off each other, and they're both just independently very funny and good at talking to the contestants as well. Uh, and I, I, I think like the people who've come, like Noel Fielding is a really interesting kind of left field choice to go in there. But I think he's kind of a, was an interesting person to be there. Um, but I, I always miss Mel and Sue. But maybe that's just because that's what was so comfortable about the show for me. Like part of this comforting entity that is Bake Off, that where you sit down for an hour and it's all just quite nice. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and the worst thing that can happen is Gingerbread House is going to crumble and Paul Hollywood will just shake his head. <laughs> it's kind of the meanest thing that could happen on the show, pretty much. How about yeah. you? Yeah, it is interesting how how much... Uh, me and, and my partner are able to vilify <laughs> poor Hollywood when in comparison to literally any other yeah. <laughs> reality TV show, he is just uh, just the kindest, most gentle man. <laughs> but then he'll he'll look somebody look at somebody with his his pale blue eyes and yeah. say, "This is underbaked," and you're like, "You <laughs> piece of shit, Hollywood! How, How could you destroy Dead. their dreams?" But then yes. you know, he, he's, there's the stick, but there's also the carrot of the handshake. Oh yeah, the silent handshake, and then. Well, you've made it on Bake Off then if you get that, that poor Hollywood handshake. <laughs> I was, uh, I've been to like, the uh, BBC Good Food Show a few times in uh, Birmingham. And uh, there's one way that poor Hollywood was doing signings. And it's amazing the crowds that he attracts. Uh, it's basically how just like Mary Berry as well. She was like a really successful cookbook publisher, author, uh, and, you know, celebrity in, in the food world before that. But now she's kind of national treasure status almost because of bake-off uh which is quite again that's just quite nice it's just people mostly winning apart from the person who made that gingerbread house (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I do love mel and sue that was i mean just the fact that they've obviously been friends for a long time Mm. uh and and love each other dearly is is what made it work i I also really loved sandy toxvig and and noel fielding as a combo because they're they're so different from each Mm. other but (laughs) clearly also have that same level of affection um, that was uh, that was that became my favourite pairing. I think. Yeah, I, I love uh, Sandy Toxvig. I really miss her from the um, uh, BBC Four Radio Four programmes. Uh, she's in News Quiz. Uh, she's an excellent host. Um, yeah, she, it's really yeah. You're right. That's such an odd pairing. <laughs> I mean, I, I wonder, like, I, I, one of the things. I mean, physically so different as well. Like in the character creator, people have set their sliders <laughs> to the exact opposite ends, <laughs> and they've got like very different sense of humour as well. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, Toxic is quite acerbic, and Northfield is this quite sort of improvised, <laughs> improv comedy ghost <laughs> kind of <laughs> wafts around, which <laughs> um, is really enjoyable. And one of the things that I'm fascinated about that we'll probably go back to for a lot of the shows is what it's like to be a producer 
and what it's like to actually do the screen tests with the hosts and how you make the decisions about what types of personalities you put together and why uh, mm. and whether you know you know that two, these two people who are very different will bounce off each other in a certain way that will create drama or will work together really well like uh, Mel and Sue uh, and Toxvig and North Hielding did uh, and, and make that magic that is quite this cozy magic that Bake Off thrives on um, yeah. and yeah uh, there's it must be so much fun <laughs> to be a producer on something like the traitors for example uh yeah i don't know i mean i well we'll get to it but mm. like the traitors is a little bit more traumatic than <laughs> i think anybody involved expected it to be yes um uh, yeah okay but uh yeah so there's it, i it's bake off your favorite cooking show or there is a, a kind of like tier list you've got in your head of the ones you love and and, and why I, I i do yeah so i mean so I, I I think Bake Off is is the is the is the best. It's the ultimate. Mm. But it's interesting seeing how other competing baking shows have taken little bits of that format, um, and so many of them are really poor imitations that don't understand why those components work in Bake Off, and they sort of jumble them together in uncomfortable ways. Outside mm. of that, I think. I suppose it's it, this is true of like any TV show which apes another poorly, and you think, oh well, that, that doesn't work because of this, you know. But it becomes a little com- kind of uh, more difficult to unpick when it's about narrative structures. But I think because reality TV relies so much on this human component that the structural aspects outside of that become very naked and visible, hmm. and so it's really <laughs> clear when they aren't working. <laughs> and so I mean. Going back to the game design thing, I think you can see how these different sort of structures produce different incentives and experiences. And because all of these shows are aping each other in like very marginally iterative ways, I think you actually end up, if you watch a lot of them, getting a really finely defined idea of how those structures operate or don't at all. Hmm. Like that stuff even comes down to this sort of weird, like linguistic mimicry. Almost, I mean, I, I'm not only just the structures get shared between them, but also the kind of ways in which people talk get shared between these <laughs> these shows. And so, like, I was watching a few episodes of Anthony Porowski's, uh That's Anthony from Queer Eye. Um, his he, he hosts uh, quite an underwhelming baking show called Easy Bake Battle, um, and he he himself is absolutely excellent in it. He's a great and lovable host, and mm. he has interesting things to say. But the format is the format is just sort of quite quite weak. But the the thing that's interesting to me about it is that they do the whole bake off, and the person going home today is style of elimination. But the difference is that bake off takes place across weeks, and so mm. it's meaningful that somebody is literally leaving the set and going home. Whereas easy bake battle is like a two round competition that takes place in an afternoon. <laughs> like <laughs> everybody's going home after this. <laughs> if somebody's not going home, that's kidnapping, Anthony. <laughs> It's just, but it's just, it's just weird how you see these same sort of things being regurgitated, but in ways in which the meaning of them is lost. Uh, and, and then by watching the ones that fail, you get a sense of why the ones that work do work. Um, I don't know. I mean, have you have you seen um, Easy Bake Battle or uh, not... Is It Cake? <laughs> is It Cake? Uh, that sounds like it should be a YouTube channel where. Uh... People well, just... I imagine it, it probably is. Like a lot of the contestants on it do have their own uh, YouTube or TikTok followings. Mm. Um, but I mean, you can guess what the premise of the, the <laughs> show is. Um, you know, it's a, a contestants try to make cake that looks like, I don't know, a handbag or a traffic cone or whatever. Mm. Um, 
And then a bunch of judges try to guess which is the real one and which is the cake one from a distance under extremely poor lighting conditions. <laughs> um, and it's <laughs> it's absolute garbage television. It is just the, it has this completely arbitrary format to select contestants from a pool each episode. It has just that most hateful production values. And it has this this compare uh, called Mikey Day, who I think is on SNL apparently. Yeah, yeah. But he just possesses like subatomic banter levels he is just <laughs> he is just the most bizarre and terrible human i've ever seen in a hosting role it's like uh you know the the joaquin phoenix joker it's, yes. it's, it's like an amdram audition for that role like oh michael barrymore could live on television and still emit more charisma than mikey day does it is astounding and <laughs> i like Everyone else involved comes across as an absolute cretin because of <laughs> because of course it has those confessionals where they they have they forced to blandly narrate the things you've literally just seen them do, <laughs> and it's one of those things like that's like one of the structures that is now you everywhere in all these shows and it makes sense in some situations where you know especially in in the traitors where there is an element of deception so you see the thing happening in you know live in inverted commas and then you see the hidden subtext that is being revealed to you by one of the participants mm. that makes sense there is an internality there that is being exposed <laughs> but like it's just it's you know it's somebody chopping some stuff for a cake and it cuts to them saying i've got to chop some stuff for this cake <laughs> and you're like wow <laughs> fantastic <laughs> i think when you uh, when you talk about like um mismatching structures onto you know the, the, what the show is actually about i think there's certainly something where um shows just need to be comfortable about when the stakes are low to just uh, admit that the stakes are very very low for what's happening <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. so if someone guesses whether this is a you know a shadowy shadowy victoria sponge looking thing is it actually an apple um there's actually zero consequence to the human race or any particular <laughs> being at all for the result of that. And uh, and given that uh, premise, have fun with it. Instead of turning it into a kind of life or death, you're going you're going home forever type <laughs> scenario where you've been evicted. You're in exile from from the television for what you've done for misjudging this. Uh, this you know uh, the traitors is, is also forced into this trap a little bit, I think, because. Um, they treat the prize as though it's way more than it actually is. Uh, well, this is a this is a new emerging thing that I think speaks to our fraught moment of finances in this mm, country in particular. Like everybody's like, "Oh, I'm going to get a fiver for this. That's a life changing fiver." <laughs> yes, and you're like, yeah. Is it really life changing? And then you think, "Well, actually, everybody's really in the shitter right now. Mm. <laughs> Maybe it is life changing." I think there's like a frisson of desperateness to the, the traitors, <laughs> which is absolutely genuine and yeah, slightly yeah. terrifying for our the, the state of our society. But yeah. you, you're absolutely right that. Like the the whole you're going home thing is is uh, is built up to be dramatic in a way which, in certain circumstances, work and in certain circumstances, really don't work at all. Yeah, um, it's, it's the you're fired thing from The Apprentice. It's like they're yeah. not they're, they're they're all doing quite well for themselves actually, and they're going to go home to a nice flat in London and be and be fine. <laughs> they're not fired from anything. Their star has risen. They might get some you know book deal offers or something. Yeah, if only they were fired. If only they were properly <laughs> fired. Some of them are, that's one of the, 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 you know, of all the love to hate shows, The Apprentice is just deliberately one of the most goading. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just the people they pick for that are just 
just laser targeted at, designed to irritate and, and frustrate. And uh, part of the fun of the show is just given the tasks are basically designed to humiliate them over and over again. It's a kind of hate hour. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> some some reality shows are like that. And again, is that uh, I feel like I should feel guilty about it, but I don't. I watch it. It's great. <laughs> Can I just say one more thing about Is yeah, It Cake? Of course. <laughs> so all of, all of all of what I've described so far is not actually the stupidest thing about Is It Cake. How? <laughs> <laughs> so again, this comes down to sort of like game design problems. The, the, the problem is that it the way the way the show is judged creates this sort of these conflicting victory conditions for both the contestants who are literally the contestants and the judges who are not the contestants but think they are. So <laughs> so they haven't really thought about where the audience's perspective or sympathies reside at any point. So you'd think it would be with the contestants who do all this work of baking yeah. this stuff. And then they sort of completely fuck it out the window by presenting the judging as a mini competition that the judges themselves can win. Mm. So, so like you have these bakers making these cakes and the, the judges that judge them are a different trio of judges each episode. They're just bust in from other incredibly non-entity shows. They are so low on the celebrity totem pole that I'm genuinely embarrassed to hear <laughs> their paltry achievements listed. And then I, I guess they're all like, they're plied with booze in the groom room to get them in this buzzy mood. And they're all this like psyched up to guess a cake. And it's presented as this like exciting time pressured thing like there's a time limit during which the the judges need to guess which is the cake and it builds up and there's this mad panic at the end and did they get it right did they did they did they yes they did oh my god they got it right and all the judges are high-fiving each other and stuff because they've guessed correctly except they're not the winners they're the judges and then you cut back to the crestfallen baker whose cake has failed because it's been identified as cake and they're holding back tears because their dreams of winning this competition have just been shattered. And you get this amazing moment where these judges to like suddenly look horrified because they're realizing what's going on. That they've just crushed somebody's dreams at the moment that they thought they were having a great time. And there's this amazing emotional whiplash. It's so fucking awful, Tom. It's just <laughs> the most vile, gormless farce. And I've watched every second of well, it. Well, that's it. That's the thing. Like, I think we have to admit that there's just masterful editing behind these things and the the rhythm of uh, the way they cut between people and the way that they sort of build tension, even in, using just really cheap devices like music getting louder, music getting louder as the uh, thing reaches, you know, climax. <laughs> yeah. It's really just yeah, ABC stuff. Um, nonetheless, it has the power to be absolutely gripping. I think part of it is because um, the, for me, the, the space reality TV occupies my brain is the sort of, I don't really want to concentrate on this. I just want to watch something and basically have it happen to me and be entertained. Um, and that in that state, maybe that sort of ed- those editing tricks and that sort of uh, the pure kind of performance of it and the rhythm of it is actually more effective than the content itself and even the people on the screen sometimes. Uh, and it's almost like uh, the formula of these things is almost half of the key, the success of it. I find this particularly true for something like Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares. Uh, mm. where every single one has exactly the same arc and you know it's almost like you know um the three-act structure for drama except it's just gorn goes in eats a load of food bollocks the kitchen uh <laughs> they try to get better he bollocks them again uh they do something halfway reasonable but still quite bad and then he walks away saying 
well, I've turned it around unless they're still shit <laughs> and then walks off. And it's like, <laughs> it's the same every single time. I've, I've watched 20 episodes at least of this thing. And I, I can't, it's just something like very satisfying about all those bits clicking into place. Uh, and the fact that there is this sort of, uh, there is a sort of uh, start at rock bottom, slowly building up, uh, all slight peak potentially. And then the final night they get, you know, a big opening uh, and then, you know, the mayor is here and everything and oh, the, the, the fondants are basically okay. Uh, they've done the bare minimum success that you'd expect for, for paying for a meal. And then he, he walks out off into the distance and does a quip. And it's almost like, it's almost like detective shows in that way. So, you know, there's really formulate detective shows like your Midsummer Murders and stuff like that. And Columbo, you know, you know, always know at the end he's going to turn around and, and say, you know, just one more thing. And maybe it's the rhythm of these things that's kind of addictive as so much as what the, 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 they're actually about or the themes of the, the show at all. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I I think that's the reason that these things exist at all a lot mm. of the time. You can tell when it is just format and no substance, though. Yeah, like, that's definitely true. I think I, Nailed It's quite interesting because it's a show that absolutely understands how, how kind of trashy it is. And mm. it has all of these kind of these these formats, but it, none of it really matters. And it, it's all sort of it's almost like a satire of these shows, like a, a, it's incredibly mm. self-aware. And, it, you know, even to the point that, you know, like Nicole Byer, who, who hosts it, is a very funny comedian. She'll look like occasionally turn to the guest judge and be like, isn't it wild that we have to pick a winner out of these fucking <laughs> idiots? <laughs> yeah, that's good. I, I tell you what, though. So there's. Um, there's uh there is one other show which I think uh competes with Bake Off on its own terms. It's very much of the Bake Off format, but a lot of the things it does make it makes it sort of own. And that's mm. The Big Brunch. Ooh, um which is uh a show I think conceived by and hosted by um Dan Levy of uh Shits Creek fame. Oh yeah. Um and he's he's amazing. Like he's he's absolutely wonderful in it. He's a he's a lovely, warm, charismatic presence, very funny. Uh very uh cerebral as well and which because i didn't know what to expect of him really as a as a compound and he's joined by um solar who i i vaguely know from uh like the bon appetit youtube channel i don't think oh, she's yeah. there anymore because she she um rightly kicked off about racial discrimination there and got the the ceo to step down mm. um uh i don't know anything about her otherwise um but she's she's incredibly knowledgeable and kind of like spiky in this really fun cheeky way uh i don't think she would like to be called cheeky though i don't think i'd ever call her cheeky <laughs> to her face um and uh a guy who i didn't know at all called uh will gadera um i do know that he is married to christina tosi who uh, co-founded milk bar which is uh, a confectionery place made famous by infusing its food with the flavor of cereal milk. Uh, and I've mm. eaten there and mm. it was okay. Um, <laughs> but they are just this, this wonderful trio of people that's so smart and insightful and they're characterful and they generally want the contestants to succeed uh, to the extent that during one round of the competition, they felt like everybody had fucked it because they hadn't explained the, the the parameters clearly enough to them. So they just get them to do it again, having made the parameters clearer. And there's just this sort of, uh, I don't know, there's this, a sense of humility about the show. And it, it does things even like to the, the, like the texture of it. Uh, whereas Bake Off has its own kind of musical character that it enforces. Uh, this has a, a lot of sort of like jazz music in in the <laughs> as the kind of the the kind of linking theme. Um, but it's really good. The contestants are nice. 
I think it struggles initially, as a lot of these shows do, because there's too many contestants. There's not enough space for them to explain what they're doing. Um, uh, and that sort of tips you the wink to the format, because if if the show focuses on a contestant for too long during yeah. an episode, you know, well, they're up for being eliminated, I guess, this episode. Um, and I wonder if I mean, that is that is a thing that these shows really need at all. Do you think the elimination format is something that is is central to these sorts of cooking, particularly the cooking shows? I would much rather start with fewer contestants and, and see the full range of what they could do. Um, yeah. uh, cause especially because with cooking, uh, so I, I, I love MasterChef. Um, I think my favorite is MasterChef The Professionals uh, because especially for the skills test at the start when mm. they're walking completely blind and it's stuff that perhaps they should have learned at college um, unless Monica Galetti set the challenge in which case it's like, you know, hard, you know, extract the innards of the sea urchin and then distill its soul into a paste and serve <laughs> it on toast. And then it's like, they just sort of, they've, they've become, their faces become very still and you can see a sort of roiling panic just behind the facade. And then they just start chopping and hacking at things desperately to try and make it work. Um, and then you'll have uh, Mark swearing and he'll just be like, oh, cook a really nice steak. And then uh often they can't somehow <laughs> because of the nerves <laughs> because of, you know they're not used to being in front of camera crews and that's such a huge thing uh with these shows as well when people mess up uh they're in really weird conditions especially when it comes to baking and cooking um so for example like are the ovens they're using unfamiliar to them and if they're sort of ovens running off, off gas, gas stoves are they at different heats that's huge for whether you know a cake rises or not or whether you know a loaf rises and it's massive for like if you're overcooking a, a uh, you know a rack of lamb and all of those things are pasted over because uh what comes onto the plate is always a, because the stakes are so high and they're about to be eliminated or they're going to go through everything is on this one plate of food so one mistake throws all of their creativity and potential out of uh, out of the room and with cookie shows i find that and uh, like quite sad because I don't mm. know what, you know, uh, Sarah could have potentially done in a couple of rounds uh, because she, because her fondant wasn't gooey enough in the middle. Um, and the, I'd much rather they sort of skip the first few rounds where there are loads of them and just had 10 who competed like over and over again. Uh, and then they went down to five and then there was the final two. That would that would be more fulfilling and, and interesting to me. And mm. I feel like I'd, I'd see more cooking, which is, you know, especially with MasterChef, it's supposed to be all, all about technique and you know innovation and, and being creative and then trying to get to the next level especially for the professionals they, they might be head chef somewhere they want to get at their own restaurant maybe get a star one day that's kind of that's real stakes that's someone's real life on the line uh and the, the traitors too uh, it starts with 22 people yeah 22 <laughs> and you're you know the episode is like an hour long and you're only really going to get to you're not you're only going to remember three of them really realistically um and no matter how many kind of talking head bits they do uh and i, I do wonder why they get so many people in maybe it's just because it, it lowers the risk of them not getting any material at all uh mm. if you have 22 people there's more chance that there's someone is going to clash with someone or, or groups are going to form alliances are going to form whereas if you only have like five ten people Maybe that sort of if everyone sort of gets along, maybe you don't have a show when it comes to something like the traitors. Uh, I, I think that's, that's maybe easier to cope with in a, in a, a show which has like a uh, the substance of it is purely social, like mm, yeah. the traitors. Uh, whereas I think in in baking shows it's really problematic because there's actually like a process that is interesting and essential to expose mm. there. And if you have too many people, 
you just can't spend enough time with them mm. um, to to show them show people what they're doing. And in you know some baking shows don't care about that, and yeah. that's why they're less interesting to me. Not that I have like there's a sweet spot. I don't have like enough of uh, a cooking brain to uh, for for like really detailed breakdowns of cooking to be possible for me to comprehend and therefore invest in but there is like a a, a medium uh medium rare uh point <laughs> where uh you know it's it's just enough information that i understand the stakes and the complications but it's not too much information yeah i think um i think like uh uh the uh, one of the iron chefs i think it's called iron chef quest for an iron legend <laughs> uh which was uh, on maybe on netflix um uh, hosted by Alton Brown and, and Kristen Kish, and that was that was uh, a bunch of. Uh, they may have already been Iron Chefs. I'm not sure. They were they were like famous chefs, basically doing battle with each other. You only get t- two chefs and their teams uh, in the kitchen at any one time, um, and I think that did a good job because they were doing incredibly complicated things. But the show did a good job of dividing the time and having things be explained. Uh, what you know. What, the significance of certain kind of endeavors and, and the, the time pressures that were people under without kind of detracting from the, from the ticking clock too much. Um, there was, there was a show called, uh, baking impossible, um, which I absolutely don't recommend. Mm. Um, it's, it's another shameless bake off, uh, in rip off in format. Um, uh, but it has this unconvincing twist of, of pairing bakers with engineers and oh. having them construct robots out of edible substances. Wow. <laughs> ultimately, like this robot would ultimately shudder down like a course and then serve some sort of pudding to the judges. <laughs> uh, and it was it was a really weird show. Like just the, the the choice of people it had to to judge it. So it had this like I don't know any of their names. It had this like leather clad, leather jacket clad um uh, American popular science dad guy. Hmm. Uh uh I don't know what his role was. I suppose he was there to judge the, the engineering element. And I had this like, I don't know who this guy is. Like, he was quite funny in the end, but he appears like this frail Irish child uh, who I guess <laughs> is like either from TikTok or the Victorian era. And then a very prim lady who would like tell people off about the quality of their ganache that was served to her from the heart of a robotic scorpion. <laughs> and the host is a magician, um, which is, oh, I, no. again... <laughs> Well, I think it's even weirder because at no point is it alluded that he is a magician until like three episodes in, he just disgorges a whole donut <laughs> and it's like, ta-da! <laughs> but the, the problem essentially with this whole setup is, I mean, A, it's fucking stupid. There's literally no reason that anybody should be interested in making robots, robots out of gingerbread and fruit leather. But like um, the two parts just don't, really sit well together and the fact that you know the quality in the process of the baking is always going to be eclipsed by the need for it to be robotic in some way (laughs) and the ambition of the robotics is always going to be hampered by the material restrictions and there isn't just and because of those those two incredibly difficult tasks being slammed together there's no time to explain what anybody's doing in any level of detail unlike bake-off where you're like you're on the, the edge of your seat every time a meringue is decanted and so the the result is that all of it looks shit. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I guess it looks amazing for like a velociraptor made out of pecans <laughs> or whatever. But it, the bar is set quite low because of that innate compromise, and it just it just never escapes that. 
It's a really strange show. It's but incredible. the point of bringing it up is that it has this problem where it just can't it can't feature the things that are interesting about the challenge. It can't feature the challenging aspects of the challenge because it does just haven't time to to accommodate such a difficult premise. It's like you've got Bake Off and you've got Robot Wars, and independently they're both good shows. Uh, <laughs> and that, that they never never needed those Venn diagram that Venn diagram never needed to happen. <laughs> and I do wonder how these things get sort of get invented or commissioned. It, that feels like a proper back of an envelope. Uh, you know, after a long wet lunch uh, type <laughs> idea, really. And but how does that then get backing or get made into a pilot, let alone an entire show? <laughs> I don't know. I assume it was. I mean, I assume like one of the 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 frail Irish child is probably like. A TikTok. He calls himself a baconeer, which is <laughs> cool, obscene. Um, but like, I assume he has like a TikTok channel where he just makes a bunch of weird shit out of food, and that's done really well. And so, Netflix were like, "What's zeitgeisty? What are the kids like?" and and signed it on that basis. But yeah, as a as a as a thing that supports a wider competition, uh, nah, it's not this one. <laughs> no, no. Should we talk about dating shows? Yes, this is a. Uh, oh, this is. Fascinating to me, uh, the way that uh, as, as dating has moved like increasingly online and in, into apps, um, it's become increasingly sort of parceled out and defined in really odd ways by a variety of very strange reality television shows, um, which also, uh, as a kind of side note, a lot of this stuff supports people's kind of Instagram careers. And uh, a lot of the people who want to become influencers or already are influencers uh, coming into these reality shows and wanting their wanted to shine and then get deals. So there's a kind of meta layer to these shows as well uh, that also makes them doubly interesting. Uh, I find. Uh, I think the one I've watched most recently, uh, which was early last year, I think, uh, is Love Is Blind, where you get a bunch of uh, contestants on one side, uh, a bunch of contestants on the other side, and they never see each other. Uh, but what they do is they go into these booths that are separated by an opaque screen so that they, they never see each other, but they they talk to each other and they, they lounge around on couches and help themselves to the minibar and they just sort of, you know, chat and get to know each other. Uh, and then uh, at one point, they, they towards the end, they get to decide if they want to marry someone. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> wow, that escalates quickly. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a big thing. And uh, it's kind of half big brother because it's half them sort of, uh, hanging out on each side of the divide uh, in their kitchens and sort of chatting, say, "Oh, I really like this person. I really feel like I've made a connection." Uh, and then half of it, part of it is then in these really intimate kind of weird booths with the person uh, on the other side of the screen, and uh, having sometimes weirdly intimate conversations. Uh, and you start thinking, "Well, I, what I always think about these things is, is sometimes they become the contestants become so so familiar with each other, like." almost to a point that it doesn't seem like it could possibly be real. But the more I've read about behind the scenes stuff, like apparently people do forge these really intense uh, relationships in these trapped environments. <laughs> and it's mm. part of the kind of uh, pressure cooker nature of these shows uh, of just con confining people to hotel rooms, uh, only let them see other members of the cast. Uh, and because they, they have to stay in those hotel rooms, because they can't leak anything. Uh, so they're often kind of sequestered aside, even as you know, uh, in uh, you know the traitors. Two people are eliminated before the show even begins, and they just have to sit in a hotel and not talk to anyone until they were reintroduced to the show later. Uh, and it, it, it's a kind of it's a darker sort of psychological experiment side to this <laughs> that uh, <laughs> it, it sort of pushes certain personalities into 
uh, very intimate and kind of revealing and exposing situations. Uh, and they're incentivized by their often their need to achieve a degree of notoriety online uh, to further their career, career as influencers. And what results is tears, breakdowns, screaming, people running away from the altar of uh, uh, you know, a bride running out of uh, a church and falling into a ditch is a part of the show. And again, I like, uh, you know, it's the kind of rubbernecking thing. I, I could not stop watching it. It was just so fascinating to see these people uh, seem to form these bonds so, so quickly in such a strange alien environment. Uh, while also just questioning, is this real? Because uh, well, a lot of it seems so staged, especially when it comes to the end and they have to sort of live with each other for a bit before they decide if they really want to marry each other. It's a, it's such a strange... It, for me, that's one of the weirdest ones. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see season two because there's going to be... Yeah, yeah I am, I'm deeply into this, obviously. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's really interesting to me about these shows is when the first series is a big success, everyone who comes into the second series has watched the first series. And so they're all people who are going in and also have their own ambitions beyond the show itself will be seeking to manipulate the format to their end. Uh, and so they may want to go in being being Nasty Nick from the first season of Big Brother, for example. Uh, you might go in saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to be the Nasty Nick for this one. That's my angle. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to try and pick out who's genuine and who's trying to play an angle and who's trying mm. to become famous in a certain way. Uh, and for me, dating shows more than anything, any of the other formats has that layer. And it's almost like a meta layer of intrigue. Uh, and of, uh, and that's a huge part of it because the number of articles that come out around these personalities afterwards. Um, so for the, even for the traitors, uh, I was Googling the traitors earlier just to sort of, you know, see what the fallout was from it. And the, most of the top hits were lists of their Instagram uh, accounts saying, hey, here's where you can find them on Insta. Huh. Uh, and that's kind of part of the, uh, the kind of the mill behind these shows. Uh, and... I find the fallout and the kind of commentary on it and what happens to those people uh, almost as interesting as the shows themselves, actually. Um, yeah, which ones have you been watching? Well, I watched, um, I haven't watched Love is Blind. Uh, my partner watched Love is Blind, but I I, uh, I declined to watch that one. Uh, maybe mm. I should pick it up. But there's there's one which uses that format, at least initially, for good. And that mm. is Too Hot to Handle, um, which has the twist uh, that... Uh, it basically entraps a bunch of sex addicts, like people who are genuinely, tragically, pathologically addicted to sex. Uh. Uh, and it traps them, uh, basically. They think they're going on a dating show, uh, but in fact, what they're going to be is blackmailed into celibacy by uh, the <laughs> fact that the prize pot reduces massively every time one of them makes oh another off. <laughs> That's and extraordinary. Like, Aside from the fact that this is very funny where the contestants first <laughs> realize what the rules of the game are, I actually think like the first couple of seasons, I mean, assuming it's not all completely fake, mm. like uh, assuming the the, the the first couple of seasons genuinely help these hapless fuckboys and girls find each other to be actual humans. Like it's what you mm. said, these people form because of the pressure cushion, pre pressure cooker nature of these sort of places, they form incredibly intense bonds with each other. And that is actually useful in a scenario where people uh, through whatever reason have closed themselves off to empathy and don't see uh, members of the opposite sex or their, you know, people they're attracted to as being fully human and worthy of their empathy. Yeah. And like, it's it's really heartwarming in a way to see 
you know, it's a very low bar of empathy that you need to reach, but it is quite heartwarming to see them meet that like meager achievement. And, you know, you're in the confessional booth, you have somebody <laughs> like just going, like, wow, like, so women are like actual human people, yeah? <laughs> Although the show doesn't like dwell on it, clearly a lot of these mm. people are the way they are because they're really badly wounded, <laughs> you know? Mm. There's definitely like abuse survivors among them who are just so terrified of being victims again that they they start to reenact the forms of control that were used against them and so you get all these kind of these these cocky people who are like employing mra style mm. kind of tactics and they and to see them get broken out of that and actually forge if not romantic relationships then f- friendships of a sort with people who they would otherwise just shag one evening I think that's really good. And it has the same problem as you're saying with, uh, like, Love is Blind in that future seasons. I mean, they, they do a good thing with the second season where they they pr- pretend, they create a fake show and then right. uh, reveal that they're not on the fake show after all. They're, in fact, on Love is Blind. And some of the contestants know what Love... Sorry, they're on Too Hot to Handle. And some of the contestants recognize Too Hot to Handle and seen it, and some of them haven't. But... I, I think I'd be very surprised if any of the contestants from season three onwards don't twig that they're on Too Hot to Handle. Yeah. Um, and the show as a whole just gets less sincere, I think, about helping people. And along with that, there's a sort of like atrophy of the format where it becomes almost 75% confessionals. Um, and you just know that they don't have anything at that point. Right. There's nothing real there anymore. Yeah, I think, again... Well, uh, going back to sort of the idea of some of the the sort of commentary on these shows is as interesting as the shows themselves. Like uh, Love Island has triggered loads of discussion uh, uh, around. So there's one guy who uh, the way he was treating uh, the woman who's ostensibly with on the show uh, and raising her, bringing her down, uh, and everyone and psychologists looked at that and like that's coercive control. And there were people writing articles about what this looks like, and Mm. this is what this uh, dynamic. Uh, uh, this exists to empower him and put her down and that uh, created a, a, a lot of interesting debates and loads of people who probably never heard of that term before might have you know been introduced to this idea and maybe uh, you think back to times where you were in a conversation with someone who was behaving like that towards you mm. uh, and so actually the sort of uh, meta-analysis of behaviors that emerge from these shows uh, can be kind of has become more sophisticated uh, i don't remember any of that stuff happening with big brother for example um, the, some of my favorite stuff around Big Brother was Charlie Brooker's excellent ongoing columns where he was just fascinated and horrified in equal measure and again could not look away uh, but was just like acerbic but also just could not resist digging into every kind of uh, wrinkle of it to, to pull out you know weird dynamics and it, it really got into the drama um, and I think he collated all of his early columns into a couple of books actually um, and I found them to be excellent at the time I'm not sure like if we did now without the cultural context of the time um, it might they might have lost some of their power but I, I found that to be really good then but these days I think I find, find there's lots of interesting articles and reflection on the behaviors mm. of people in the shows um, and that seems to be progress even if people might hate the formats themselves <laughs> uh, at least you know it's, it's kind of an avenue for discussion about how people treat each other sometimes not all the time but sometimes <laughs> are you into the reality tv shows which aren't really real <laughs> which is to say the sort of mm. 
the the structured reality ones, to use a phrase which you literally just told me before the show. <laughs> right? uh, yeah, uh, Jamie Britton, uh, our friend and fellow podcaster, uh, said this to me, and I was like, oh, that is just such a beautiful phrase that, to describe these things. Uh, and it's like uh, made in Chelsea uh, and things like that. Um, it's where these are they're basically socialites uh, and they're falling out with each other and dating each other and uh, you know starting business ventures with each other and basically but mostly going to parties and looking pretty and, and dressing in great suits uh, it's kind of a huge part of it um, but the discussions they have are just so uh, a shot with multiple cameras uh, cutting between them uh, they the cadence of the discussion is purely it's kind of it's a fictional construct it's the sort of discussion you would see in a badly written drama um and yet you're supposed to believe that this is really happening in real time uh and you the fascinating thing about them the reason i can't watch them really is because finding out trying to guess what's real and what isn't is futile <laughs> it's impossible because it's all so strangely presented and it's so pristine and it's so inhuman in its delivery uh, and and you don't i feel like i i don't understand these people at all they they they're like aliens from they like they've landed they've, they've observed reality t- television from space and they've um they've uh, plopped these beautiful people out of some uh, some silos and they've made them bump into each other like uh, characters of the sims and have incredibly staged conversations about how um i feel oh i'm feeling much closer to johnny these days oh are you well, I used to be dating Johnny. Are you sure? Uh, very. It's like it's like watching Captain Scarlet, like the sort of like the, the kind of weird, jerky mannequin uh, mechanisms. It's very. I find it quite disturbing. Uh, but people love it, and I feel like uh, I feel like I'm missing out on something. Uh, sort of like not understanding what the key to this is. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, 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 that's the reason that I can't really speak much about them because. Um, I just understand how they work or why people like them at all. Have you seen any of them? No, I, I really, I mean, I've seen clips enough of them to um, to know that they aren't for me. I don't really understand it. Uh, like you say, like I, I, it either has to be real or it has to be some sort of, um, you know, more sophisticated fiction. Well, yeah, I mean, I, why not watch Hollyoaks? That feels to me yeah. like it's kind of the same thing, but it's there's the script and the plot lines and uh, the conversations make more sense in politics <laughs> than, they, than they ever do uh, from what I've seen in these shows. Uh, but yeah, that's a whole sort of strata. There's, there's so many of them as well. Uh, and I think maybe it, that sort of chimes into like a particularly uh, American series, like the, the Housewives uh, series that kind of revolve around uh, just wealthy socialites who are just kind of living their lives and uh, the various sort of Kardashian programs as well. Uh, and this kind of ambiguity, which I find very anxiety-inducing, about what is real or sincere, and what you know is is authentic yeah. and what isn't, um, I just feel well, it's as the like, whole sort of yeah. um, the, the the blurring of of uh, real and, and fiction when, when it comes to celebrity, uh, the parasocial experience, yeah, yeah, and the fact that uh, some of these these families are entirely. They're, every everything that they do is is designed in order to garner attention for their their you know their production line basically. Yeah, yeah. Parasocial relationships is is uh, what these shows thrive on completely. Uh, that and kind of um, there's a kind of interesting cocktail of being aspirational while while also allowing you to sometimes dislike the people who have achieved this at the same time. Mm. 
Uh, and it's it's almost like weaponized jealousy to an extent. Yeah. Uh, and where, where you get to look at the houses and go, wow, that's amazing. Look at that swimming pool. Um, and then someone just, uh, one of the housewives is really horrible to someone else. You go, oh, but she's horrible. I mean, if I was, I wouldn't be like that if I was in her position with that house. Um, and it's sort of, uh, these shows kind of enmesh status um, with uh, parasocial interpersonal relationships breaking down in a way that can be quite poisonous, I think. <laughs> uh, I don't enjoy it, at least. I don't find it entertaining. Did, you said you watched Below Deck before we started oh, yes. recording. Is, mm. is that part of this same kind of strata of reality TV? No, it's more of a, um, it's a, it is part of it, is it. It does have the confessional booth thing where uh, you, you're watching them do, uh, I'll, I'll just describe the show first. So uh, Below Deck follows uh, the crew, crews on a super yacht uh, who like maintain the boat and uh, serve the guests and put on entertainment for the guests. Uh, and each episode features uh, a charter where extremely super wealthy people come on board and they charge the boat for a couple of days. And the, the the crew have to basically do everything they want, pretty much. Uh, if they want, you know, um, martinis on a, a a beach somewhere, they have to plot a course there and find a, a cove. They have to drive out in their tender. They have to set it all up. And uh, the show goes does a really good job of showing how much hard work goes into this stuff. They're really hardworking people um, who are just kind of setting up. Uh, and they're kind of maintaining the boat. They're all safety experts. They're great swimmers. But they also have to be entertainers and they have to smile no matter how awful the guests are. So some of the guests come on and some of them are, are okay, but obviously some of them are absolute crooks, just slime balls, totally horrendous, just demanding, demeaning towards the staff. Um, so it does have that aspiration versus and sort of vilification angle that that cocktail I was talking about that is there. Um, but it's also a kind of uh, reality show where, of course, the crew, are basically, as one of them described it, we're on a prison ship because. They're, they're all bunking together and they can't leave <laughs> they oh, so it, it, there's that pressure element there but it's real like the, it, the fact that it's tapped into uh, it's given us a cross section of a slice of a real industry that has been happening all this time that i've never seen or really thought about is a fascinating part of it uh and it, you get to know the crew um and there are certain there are crew members who have like certain ticks they become characters and they keep coming back in future seasons uh so for example there's a chef on each super yacht and the chef has to do everything by themselves pretty much they occasionally get some help from the stews like to do some shopping if they're really desperate um and as a result they're all kind of bonkers that it's almost every chef that comes on board they're kind of absolute wild cards and you get to know their various different personalities and like one chef gets really ill so he has to leave and so uh the captain gets on the phone and hey it's the chef from the last season he's back and he's just as crazy as ever <laughs> uh, so the, uh, and all of that does feel a bit kind of manufactured but there's a real sense that you know th- th- there's genuine industry happening here like they really are having to take on these guests and i think the guests get a discounted rate for appearing on the show um and as a result that like they have to deliver the, the quality of service that the yachting company and the yacht and the people who own that yacht actually require. So they do have to be really good at their jobs. Uh, and admit, amidst all this competence and like admirable work ethic, uh, they'll occasionally just go ashore on one of their off days uh, and go to a bar and just like start screaming at each other, throwing glasses, being horrible, being kind of racist to one of them for no reason. Uh, and then just kind of this kind of social, total social breakdown happens. And it's kind of believable because of the situation they're in and because of how cooped up they are with each other. And because uh, often there's lots of different people 
in a sort of transient stage of their life in their early 20s where they're going to be yachties for a couple of years, make loads of money, and then just go and do what else they want to do. So you have these really interesting characters of people coming together. It's absolutely fascinating. But at the same time, there is that sense of um, certain characters as the series go on get more and more screen time and they they sort of become the de facto stars. Um, one of them is Kate, who's a chief stew. Uh, a chief stew is the uh, head of the person, people who run the service aspect of the boats. So they, they turn all the beds, they clean everything, uh, they serve the guests who are often awful to them. And it's um, they have incredibly high standards. And Kate is, is, was a really interesting character. And interestingly, uh, did you know there's a US version of The Traitors? I, I only found that out uh, when I was looking at Wikipedia earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And Kate is one of the guests on that show. She's Oh. Yeah. Uh, completely by surprise. I was watching it earlier this week with, with, uh, with my partner. And it's like, oh, wow, that's Kate from Below Deck. And so you see how, uh, to me, like the show has kind of crossed the line at some point where it stopped being about insight into this really fascinating industry. Um, it's glamorous, but also kind of slightly grubby industry i found like a and as a turn has become another sort of avenue to success for people who want to behave a certain way and you know adopt a, a an abrasive personality in order to appear on reality television shows uh so it, it the blue deck for me is transitioned from something very interesting to something where i kind of don't i've, I've lost trust in it in a way hmm. uh, and i feel like to enjoy reality tv even a, a stage as it, as it can seem I have to have a degree of trust that at least a little bit of it is authentic somewhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I suspect that's true of a lot of the life cycles of these shows, like, you know, American Chopper or whatever that one is, where they're, they're constantly searching for some hidden gold on an island somewhere. Oh, yeah. Like they, they, they just end up uh, becoming too much about the circus of the, the show. And then the, the characters need to end up playing themselves in yeah. ways which are hyper real or completely fictional. I think Below Deck is the best structured reality because it has the most reality in it. And also, uh, it's a bit, there's a bit of that, um, the, the cooking show thing where I, I really admire the expertise of watching them bring mm. the super, a super yacht into a very narrow space in a port. Like they'll show every aspect of that and then throwing the lines out, the captain barking orders down the, the radio. And you watch them just scraping by these other super yachts, literally like three feet away from them slotting in incredible precision it's like wow that's amazing that's a, such an incredible skill and I, I take joy in uh reality tv watching people be really good at what they do mm. uh, and that, that's something just inherently heartening and i'm really glad that they included all that stuff i would like just to name check the circle okay. at this point because um uh, I, I do want us to eventually in this podcast about the traitors start talking about the traitors. <laughs> yeah, sure. But but uh, I do want to name check the circle because it's one of my my favourite of these these shows. It's basically just a popularity contest, so a bit like Big Brother in that that uh, that sense. Although it's not voted by uh, the people, don't get voted off by the public. The contestants themselves vote each other off, um, and it's basically. It, the premise of it sounds really dumb in that uh, it, it's Big Brother, but the players never actually meet each other. Mm. Instead, they're all they're all in the uh, yeah. uh, these isolated hotel rooms in an apartment block near Manchester, <laughs> uh, which for some reason the program intercuts with glamorous aerial shots of Chicago. <laughs> so that's ever going to fool anybody? And they communicate with each other solely via like a social media style text based chat system. 
Mm. And this means that some people can pretend to be people other than themselves. They they catfish, essentially. Oh, well. And they all form alliances with each other. They get to know each other a little bit, and then they vote uh, for who they, they like most, and then the person with the, the worst rankings gets voted off. And there are various twists to that format every day. So sometimes like people get voted off, and then the show will say, you two are coming back, but you now have to cooperatively play this character. Oh, my gosh. Um, and so on. And it's actually like... It's surprisingly riveting uh, because it's all about identifying and befriending people uh, who are the genuine straight shooters who are in in the competition uh, and who don't want to play a tactical game. And you also have to sort of like oust the untrustworthy. And there tends to be like this kind of catfish hunt where people who are catfish are always end up being voted out, even though that doesn't necessarily mean that they are untrustworthy people. Mm. It just means that they they came on this show <sighs> thinking they wouldn't be as popular if they played themselves. But there's all this kind of this suspicion of who the catfish are. And a show will like throw fun spanners into the works by like creating games the contestants which could potentially expose their lack of expertise in mm. in an area which would then destroy their their cover as catfish yeah, yeah. And it's really surprisingly fun and occasionally it's even moving um, all the contestants are really lovable this season last season two of the spice girls were playing a catfish <laughs> <laughs> wow. which is a, a really good they are they are obviously a lot of fun to watch but, yeah yeah um huh. yeah maybe uh, I just wanted to mention it because uh, I've, I've spent too much time in the circle not to mention it on a podcast about reality TV. That's really interesting because I, I, I remember seeing adverts for it and I sort of dismissed it for saying, oh, that's a bit torn from the headlines. It's a bit sort of, oh, you know, it's, uh, Catfish is its own show and, you know, catfishing has become mm. uh, the source of many uh, you know, successful documentaries and things like that. But, um, yeah. How real is Catfish? That's another question. Really, that's a good question, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's the, the media meeting itself. And so the idea of turning that into uh, something that's fun is kind of, I, I assumed it would be kind of mean, but it's, it sounds like they do it with the contestants approaching the right spirit, knowing kind of what they're getting into enough to not be crushed by <laughs> being mistaken, or maybe they are. Um, I mean, there's a bit of drama that a lot of the people they have on the show um, say they operate in a heightened register. <laughs> mm. um, but th- I don't think any of them are brutalized by the experience. Uh, I generally it's it's in done in good humor and and this season is 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 great and again like um i think we'll get into this when we start talking about the traitors but there is uh um the some of my favorite people on that show have been the ones who are forced to play strategically and then you see quite a lot of their calculation and it's one of the few reality tv shows that doesn't cut away to confessionals because Mm. there's no they can have this text conversation and they can be editorializing explaining their thinking at the same time yeah so it doesn't need to cut away to this confessional because they can literally you know the producer will just say can you explain why you said that you don't hear the producer say that, but then you get, yeah. you know, the, the contestant explaining, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to make her think that this and so and so and so, so forth. Um, but it's quite good in that sense. Shall we move on to um, the two shows that I, <laughs> I wanted to talk about, really? Uh, sorry for talking about cooking for so long. But um, uh, The Mole, I think, uh, as a sort of amuse-bouche to the traitors. So there's there's two versions of the show. There's uh, like an early 2000s version of the show. Maybe it was in the 90s as well. Uh, I've only watched two seasons of it. I've only watched the celebrity seasons, uh, mm-hmm. which are the only ones that are available, I think, on, on Netflix. And there's also a new version of the show, which was also launched on Netflix with non-celebrities. Um, and the premise is that you have a bunch of contestants who each day do a bunch of challenges to earn money. Um, however, one among their number is The Mole. 
someone who has been hired by the show to sabotage the efforts of the contestants, which is an exciting premise. Um, however, to, to like to, to ensure that the mole remains a threat throughout, so it w- wouldn't work if you could vote the mole off, for example. Yeah. So instead of having a voting system, uh, as you might expect, they have um, the players conduct a secret quiz each evening. I mean, not secret, but private quiz for themselves, where they have to answer questions about who they think the mole is, some of which is specific, like, what's the name of the mole? And some of which which is more general, like, what's the gender of the mole? Or even, like, things that they may or may not have observed during the course of the day. For example, like, what color livery was on the car that the mole was in during the so-and-so task? And those kind of more general questions, especially the questions that people might just have missed if they weren't taking notes all the time, that allows the players to sort of uh, a kind of bit of space to kind of hedge their bets. And some players, like uh, if they, because at the beginning of the game, not clear who the mole is, some of the players will sort of split their answers. So it could be lots of different people based on the outcome. Of the, they'll they'll do the quiz badly in a way, but because the uh, only the lowest scoring contestant of the quiz gets ejected, by hedging your bets early on, you may actually be far enough in the rankings to escape being uh, uh, ejected from the game. Hmm. Um, and in the way it worked out, like the celebrity version from the 2000s is is quite entertaining because I think the contestants are not in any way strategic thinkers, but are in fact absolute fucking egomaniacs. <laughs> <laughs> and they just descend into abject paranoia and hysteria almost immediately. Um, but when it comes to the, like the new version, which is full of people who are seemingly quite intelligent and strategic, um, it actually ends up making the show barely watchable because the, the, the problem is that the questionnaire incentivizes the real players to also pretend to be the mole. <laughs> yeah. So because if they if they take suspicion that way, their fellow contestants will answer the questionnaire identifying them. And then those people who answer so erroneously uh, will then be the ones who are ejected from the game rather than them. So the result of this is that everyone starts to openly sabotage the tasks in ways that just get increasingly ridiculous. And like at points you have like contestants who are who are just brazenly trying to out stupid each other. Like, you know, they're trying to drag a, a like a, a sled up a hill and one of them's just like, "Oh, I've forgotten how legs work." And it's just it's like it's it's not only like incredibly visibly frustrating to the few contestants who actually want to complete the task mm. successfully, but it ends up being kind of shit to watch because naturally you just want to see things get done. And there's nothing gratifying about a bunch of clueless people pretend to be even stupider than they actually are. <laughs> and then the other thing is that the show doesn't tell you who the mole is. The whole thing is trying to uh, keep you wondering who the mole is until the very final episode. Obviously, the mole never answers the quiz incorrectly, so they're always <laughs> they're always there until the very end. Yeah. And, but the, sh- the show can just disguise the mole's actual sabotage by editing it to a minimum. Uh, and so it makes it very difficult for viewers to guess who the mole is until the finale anyway. But th- but that even if that increases one's suspense, it means it takes out like the major strategic heart of the entire show. Like you can't root for them. You can't get invested in their sub- subterfuge. You can't experience vicariously the risk that they're undergoing because you just don't fucking see it. It's just yeah. not on screen. And so in the end, you just have a bunch of gormless idiots 
you know, pre- pretending they've forgotten how maps work. <laughs> it's really <laughs> agonizing. <laughs> but it's really interesting then to compare it with the traitors. Have you seen them all, by the way? I've seen, I saw uh, the original version way back when. And as you say, I, I couldn't find it, like the one with actual contestants. And I, I found it riveting, like at the time. And it might be that the format was a bit different. Mm. Um, I, I, I remember knowing who the mole was, I think, and seeing their machinations play out was kind of delightful in a like uh you, you, is that because uh, you simply guessed who the mole was i can't remember if they revealed it or not i thought that and they made it explicit but no, maybe no. not well not in the episodes i've seen well, i might have just completely misremembered it because it was like 15 years ago or something mm. um but i remember it being interesting enough that like the sabotage i th- i must have guessed who it was because i remember just really enjoying seeing because uh, their sabotage was relatively subtle. It wasn't like, whoops, mm. I dropped the thing. Um, it would be like, you know, uh, uh, you know, oh, this door's locked. How is this locked? And he'd just gone <laughs> on there earlier. And, you know, um, they couldn't get to where they... It's that sort of thing. That's not an exact example because I'm sort of drawing from distant memory. But I remember, mm. it, you know, it, it would be almost like a kind of a Poirot mystery <laughs> where uh, kind of who done it. It's like, what? this is clearly... They've clearly been blocked in a really blatant way, but it, it was kind of seamlessly done in a way that they could not figure out who could possibly have done have done that, you know. Uh, and yeah. that that was that's that to me was was really really good. That was really fascinating. That, you have actually hit upon a difference between the old and the new version, which I hadn't thought to mention. But like the 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 celebrity version, the the ways the the, the tasks are designed differently, such that there are more opportunities there's continuous opportunities to earn money so like the you'll be in a competition where various people have to scoop water into buckets basically and Mm. you know the amount of water they get in those buckets equates to the amount of money that they earn from the task so it's not it's very granular it's it's uh it's analog it's not digital Mm. whereas in the the newer version of the mole like the tasks can just outright fail and nothing comes of it Mm. Which means that it's very difficult to. It'd be much more fun if you saw more of the tasks and there were more opportunities for massaging them. Whereas in the in the new version, it's just all or nothing, uh, and it and it means that it, it just ends up being quite. An, there's no kind of way in for the for the mole to really massage things mm. without being overt, and it means that the people who are pretending the mole, pretending to be the mole, also need to be kind of exasperatingly overt. Also, watching people relentlessly fail, just unless it's perhaps The Apprentice, is is um, <laughs> is rarely entertaining at all. Like uh, it feels like you've got to give contestants some wins, otherwise it's just kind of grueling <laughs> to watch. Perhaps talking of grueling, mm. shall we get on to the traitors itself? Yes, yep. Uh, which is a comparable show in that there are traitors amongst the team of contestants, but we know who they are from the very beginning. Yes, these contestants are housed in a Scottish castle. And it basically has them play Werewolf or Mafia, which are both party games in which one or several of the group is secretly choosing to eliminate the rest one by one. And the remaining majority, who are here called the Faithfuls, have to identify and exclude that person or persons with really no information to go on except the choices of who got eliminated and the way that everyone acts under interrogation by the rest of the group. And the traitors are different from a game of Werewolf or Mafia because it extends over a number of days um, and it intersperses this with a sort of game show style uh, activities during the day to build the prize pot. 
but unlike the mole, there's there's no reason for the traitors to ever sabotage this ever effort because once everybody's collaborated and building this prize pot, if there's a traitor in the last surviving trio of contestants, they take it all. Or is it four contestants? Last surviving four contestants, they take it all if they're still in and haven't been voted out. So unlike the mole, you know who the traitor is from the start and it's it's great and unexpectedly yeah. brutal <laughs> mm. and also it's brutal but also heartwarming at the same time and i think it's it's laser targeted at the christmas break uh, a lot of the design of the show to me feels as though it's got that agatha christie feel because it's set in this extraordinary castle um in in scotland uh and they all go in and there's just the, the, the traitors there's lots of kind of uh the trappings of it are wonderful. So the traitors, when they uh, choose who they're going to uh, murder that evening, they walk very slowly with lanterns and cloaks, hooded cloaks, up into a, a turret in the castle. And then uh, they all pull back their cloaks and have a discussion about who they're going to murder. Uh, and there's a real sense of fun to the setting. Uh, and I think uh, Claudia Winkleman hosts, I think she's fantastic because she's yeah. just she's able to be just kind of the stern uh the person who could deliver bad news but she clearly ha- has she clearly loves them as well like by the by the end of the show you, you could say see that she's sort of friends with them and actually really wants them to win and is kind of fascinated to see who who succeeds um and one of my favorite moments is is the bit where she's walking away at the end uh, and the mic's on uh, and uh one of the winners just starts swearing with delight she's like no this is the final shot of the show you can't go swearing like that <laughs> uh, and i absolutely love that they left that in uh, and to yeah. me that's kind of one of the things that really separates the traders from other shows is that uh all of its kind of theatrical trappings are so fun and over the top uh that it kind of lends an air of it's kind of quite camp mm. and yet within this kind of within this framework brutal <laughs> brutal accusations just bizarre leaps of logic absolute <laughs> galaxy brain conspiracy theories about who might be the traitor um and the fact that they they show all of their workings and you know they you get a lot of the logic i say logic <laughs> a lot of it is just absolutely bonkers i just don't like this person except i need to justify it by saying that you know or at dinner uh, when everyone uh, lifted their cups to to cheers you didn't lift your cup and therefore that is re- that raised suspicion and in fact the person who didn't lift the cup had one arm <laughs> and she defends herself by saying no i don't, I, I don't because you know <laughs> uh, and that's that's the uh, that's the level of sort of brutality brutality it got to uh, where the, the sort of accusations became like weirdly personal and it, one of the great things about the show for me is how diverse that the people are like they're people of different ages with backgrounds uh and they all have just like really different perspectives uh and they all have their own biases as well and when mm. when there are so many people so like 20 of them 22 of them uh and with so little information to go on all the all they have to fall back on is sort of microaggression like tiny moments of bits of behavior yeah. gossip and their own biases and it's and they just catch fire and flare up from episode to episode um to the, the extent that, that they all, they all become so intense with each other uh and actually like by episode two my parents stopped watching it because they thought it was ridiculous because they're like why are people crying <laughs> why are people just <laughs> in tears and screaming and shouting and sort of like rending their garments and sort of going just absolutely insane in in this kind of just after day two 
but that dynamic continues. And to me, I, I, I believed it, actually. I don't know. Did you? Oh, I don't think it was faked. I no, think, I don't um, think so. I, I think uh, they had. There was just something about the social construction there which got people into this uh, hyper-emotional state. Mm. And I think you're right. It's because they didn't have anything to go on that it meant that uh, things got intensely personal and minor. And that in itself... Uh, caused greater sort of offense to the people who are being accused yeah. than would have otherwise if they if they had actual kind of if they'd been doing anything you know, <laughs> <laughs> any kind of verb other than you know <laughs> i didn't raise a glass with a, a hand i don't have you know <laughs> um it's i think the instant mistake of of the faithfuls uh, is that they believe or act as though the traitors are going to be evil or in an overt way, or yes. irritating. Whereas, you know, rather than just being contestants on the game show, just like them. Mm. And and so it means that not only do they start attacking people for like conspicuous, but very minor character flaws, rather than anything that would be strategically useful as a traitor, such as being invisible, um, but they also feel free to do so with like the maximum vitriol of righteousness. Yeah. And like, it goes through like uh, stages where initially it's just it builds up to this in- incredible brutal free for all, and then over the subsequent episodes they begin to kind of get a handle on their emotions mm. and start to realize that by making these decisions in this emotional state and look they're looking for the wrong things a lot of the time they start to 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 be a bit more kind of circumspect in the way that they approach the 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 puzzle before them although at no point do they really have anything to go on which is i think one of the strengths and also the weaknesses of the show Mm. like i think i think i i think in our friend friendship group we all said that we ended up wanting the traitors to win uh, for at least a large part of the show and i think that's partly because I mean, it's partly because a lot of the faithfuls are actually quite unlikable. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I hesitate to say that because obviously the way these shows are cut can mm. make people seem less appealing than they are. And obviously everybody's in this heightened emotional state as well. I feel sorry for, for example, like there's a guy called Imran who, yeah, um, so. who, who claims to be uh, the person in the world, the youngest person in the world to have received, I think, a physics PhD. Mm. Um and the thing is, it constantly cuts away to confessionals where he's saying that again and again and again. And yeah. obviously that makes him look like, super conceited. But I'm sure like every I mean, like every character in that, every character, every <laughs> every contestant in it is asked why that they give them, give us a reason why you would be yeah. good at this. And so each of them has to come up with something that's a little bit self-aggrandizing. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that it's repeated and repeated and repeated is just a sign that the producers asked him to say it a bunch of times, you know, hmm. that's probably prompted. Uh but anyway, so it kind of the show fits him up to be this sort of like uh, early stage um, pseudo villain for other people to kind of um, kick, uh, which which is, is is kind of unpleasant to watch. And then yeah, there's another magician in it who, oh, uh, like all magicians, are, are fairly insufferable. Uh, there's, there's there's a guy called John who is just incredibly lacking in compassion for another fellow contestant who's obviously having a hard time mm. uh there's uh a um a receptionist slash actress who for me became sort of the the, the major villain of the piece yeah <laughs> um, she, uh, she... no particular ill will on her <laughs> part but just no, she's no. she's obsessed with pursuing these lines of inquiry that don't make 
any fucking sense <laughs> at all. What's incredible about it is that she's got two suspects and she's right about one of them, but for absolutely batshit reasons. <laughs> it's really, really good. Um, and yeah. she just, just hates Aaron for some reason. Like she just goes yeah. after it. Poor Aaron. Poor Aaron. That guy's literally never had a thought in his head. <laughs> I, I, I love Aaron. He's I like. I felt so bad for him, just being targeted, and he just—he was just sitting there being Aaron. Yeah, <laughs> that was, it was just guilty being Aaron. I, I love um, also uh, Maddie, the uh, uh, receptionist and actress. Um, I love the bit where she says she was played. Uh, <laughs> 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 she played a woman without a womb on casualty. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> yeah. That phrase has been like stuck in my head ever her, since. Her then, delivery so. of those lines <laughs> yeah. is so funny. Yes, she's I very do funny. wonder if she is actually yes, yeah. playing Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's hard to know. If, it, it is one of the most stellar performances of all time. If she if she isn't <laughs> her actual but, self, uh, but also like speaks to the um, how I, I think even though there's so many of them, the fact we could call back so many memories even weeks after watching the show shows how kind of interesting and as people they are and how much of we got to see of a bunch of them um i found like andrea really interesting uh Mm. and i felt as though perhaps the editing um went against her a bit because uh she goes across as constantly playing the age card like she's 70 72 or something like that um and she's constantly saying, yeah, at one point she accuses someone for just being young, <laughs> which isn't editing. She just did that, like at, a round, at one of the round table. The round table is where the contestants accuse each other or interrogate each other before they make a decision uh, about who to banish. Uh, and uh, yeah, she's just like, well, you know, only young people could do this and they would get a young person to do this. So you're the youngest one. So I'm voting for you pretty much was the logic. Um, but then like actually uh, much later on, there's a little uh, moment she has with Aaron where they're playing uh, bowls or this, this kind of like throwing this kind of weird part, uh, guard game they're playing and she's sort of just recounting memories of what it was like to grow up in the 60s and uh, mm. it was completely bouncing off Aaron obviously um, he was sort of like <laughs> nodding and, uh, and it sort of cuts to him he's like wow I never knew that the past existed or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's sort of like uh, yeah it's sort of uh, her insights were wasted on him, but like, wow, that's really interesting. You're actually a really interesting person. Lots of yeah, a, a, a lesbian growing up in the '60s and having moved to Belgium, I yeah, know, and then coming back at the age of 72 to appear in a quite a, a physically demanding and mentally demanding, uh, yeah. emotionally demanding reality TV show. Yeah. I know, she's I a really interesting if, character. She's a really interesting character, but you, you don't see that until much later. And I felt mm. like um, uh, this again is one of the problems with having so many people on the show is that uh, they have to sort of. Uh, pigeonhole is the old person who judges young people uh, and even though she did in that one round table she must have said loads of interesting stuff outside of that that would have made her fascinating and also there's kind of um one of the things the edits can't get around is how much other contestants liked her um mm. so there's all these off-screen conversations that are happening that don't make it into the show like there are some people where it could seem jarring as a, as a viewer where oh everyone just like really likes this one person because you've never seen all the interesting conversations they've had and how kind of uh, the rapport they've built uh, off screen and it, they won't have been building that rapport through facilitation reasons to manipulate anyone it's just because they're they're really cool a cool person uh, I feel like people like Andrea did get uh, a bit hard done by from the show um, I, I really enjoyed her attitude she just wanted to sort of participate and win and sort of be part of a team um, and actually one of the things about the show that you touched on there is I think the physicality of some of the tasks I find a little bit uncomfortable, uh, given the the you know ability of the people involved. Uh, putting 
uh, getting a 72 year old woman to go through a, a really tight laser maze uh, to and then be judged for not getting enough money just felt a bit off for me. I don't know if that struck you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought actually quite a lot of the tasks uh, were a little too hardcore for, for me to, to watch. I mean, there's, yeah. there's one where some people are buried alive and like, mm. Mm, I don't uh, I, I know that I wouldn't have been able to cope with that at all. <laughs> and I assume they select contestants who've ticked the box saying yeah. I'm not claustrophobic or whatever. But still, um, I, 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 I felt like uh, that was a level of kind of physical um, trauma, which was probably not required by the nature of the competition. But then I don't know really that the uh, there is any useful purpose from the viewer's perspective for the uh sort of daily activities at all yes because like like i said before there's no reason for the traitors to sabotage them so everybody's Mm. working together and actually they aren't they just aren't that interesting to to watch therefore because you're so invested in the actual kind of uh overall um competition that those feel unnecessary or digressionary even like this. I think I think the thing is they are necessary from the perspective of the makers of the program because you do need you need time and uh, an activity f- for the players to bond together over. I think if you didn't have that and you had the sort of omnidirectional paranoia of the mole, th- things would break down really quickly. Like mm. somebody definitely would have died <laughs> if they had tried to do that on the traitor uh, on the traitors. And I, I think also think like it's, I think they, in an interview with uh, Claudia Winkleman later, she just described it as therapy because, mm. because the, the evening kind of um, debates were so personal, acrimonious, they needed this task that they could all do together to remind themselves that each and every one of them was actually a human. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I, and so I think from that perspective, I think it was useful, but I have to admit, I skipped a bunch of them because I just didn't care. <laughs> yeah. This is the point which, where, with like um, Friends and Family saw over Christmas, and again, brilliant time to release it because, of course, everyone's got the free time to watch it. And so everyone gets their, you know, Christmas dinner chats in and their opinions on everyone. And uh, this is the point where everyone disagreed with me, where I was like, why have teams if there's no point in any one of them winning or losing? Like, uh, if one of the teams comes second but still gets the money, there's literally no consequences or reasons there's no competition <laughs> mm. uh so i I, the, I was like why isn't there any sort of jeopardy to the tasks uh everyone's sort of rowing in the same direction and trying to get as much money for the prize pot as they can then why have three teams trying to free their people from being buried alive um th- there's almost no point in any of it apart from as you say the psychological benefits of the kind of uh, benefit of bringing them together um and i felt kind of weird afterwards because ev- everyone i spoke to like said well no, those are just like the nice bits. <laughs> the tasks are the bits where everyone's just nice for a bit, because otherwise it would just be this brutal kind of uh, yeah. just an mutual, which is sure annihilation of each other's personalities based on just you know flimsy judgments. Um, and it's a good point you make about the roundtable in particular, because we see I don't know a, a cut down maybe five ten minutes slice of that. I bet that was that shot must that shoot must have gone for like an hour or so or maybe more. Oh, they look so tired by yeah, the end of each one of them. They must the, be a long session. Must be a really long session. Of, obviously, they're, they're picking the bits out, and you don't know when the producers are stepping in and trying to trigger discussion and ask, asking people to speak. Uh, so there might be that pressure to put yourself forward and say something or to start something. You don't know how all the what the dynamics are like um, between like the actual production staff and the contestants actually come to go through this stuff. 
and I think it's always worth bearing in mind how grueling that must be uh, mm. for them to, to go through that every day. Uh, and I think, you know, especially in the case of Kieran and a couple of others, they had a kind of thousand yard stare at the end that was like, they were just kind of done with it. <laughs> um, and actually Aaron hit that point quite early on because Maddie had been relentlessly accusing him at the round table for like several days straight. And it, yeah. there was a point where he was just going into the confessional being like, I'm just, I just don't really care about this anymore. I'm just kind of done with it. I just, you know, I like being here, but you know, what's it, what's the point if I'm just going to get accused every day? I, I really felt bad for him. Because I hope it the same. I'd be like, what's, yeah, why? <laughs> what am I doing yeah. here? Yeah. So I think it's interesting to consider the behind the scenes, the, the reality, the reality behind the reality TV uh, of what it's like to actually sit down in front of hot cameras under hot lights with loads of people around, uh, having to be almost, you know, be baited, potentially baited into having arguments with other human beings you've only just met. I mean, mm. that's that's my worst nightmare, basically. <laughs> 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 uh, so, yeah, I did feel bad for them in a way. Some of them were yeah. horrible, though. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> particularly um, John, who I'm sure is a lovely person in reality, but he gets into it with Aaron as well. And mm. like Aaron just asked him some questions about what he does as as a like a, um, a therapist. Like I think he works as a like a spa therapist. Mm. And Aaron was asking oh, yeah. questions about that. And John interprets that as like some sort of interrogation as though character. aaron was going to do something terrible with that information <laughs> like yeah. what was Aaron going to do uh and uh and he's completely unsympathetic when aaron ends up in tears and i don't know yeah so it's uh, it's gruesome to watch but i think as well as being like sort of uh the faithfuls basically are responsible for reaching that 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 level of drama almost yeah. instantaneously like they yeah. are far nastier to each other than anything that the traitors themselves invoke mm. and for that reason it's it's hard to sympathize with them as a group but also like they don't have anything interesting to do with what they've observed and i think that makes them difficult to sympathize with in the, in because by contrast the traitors have strategy at their disposal they get mm. to discuss things privately they get to discuss who they're going to eliminate privately and what the effects on the group of that will be inevitably that invites you to think about their situation put yourself in their shoes and think about what would be strategically wise to do and there's nothing you can't do that with the faithfuls i mean mm. the only thing you can say is Oh, I guess correctly, uh, you know, <laughs> be, be more right. That's the only kind of strategy that the faithfuls have. And things get more interesting, I think, when uh, the faithfuls get the opportunity to earn shields, which, yeah. are, which are these like boons, which give them a chance at avoiding elimination by the traitors. And that changes the, the traitors' tactics because they're just simply uh, a group of faithfuls having the potential to have shields means that the traitors are unlikely to pick any of them for elimination that night because it could end up, they end up eliminating somebody who can just deflect the elimination instantaneously. Mm. But I, I think the game could have done with more ways in which the faithfuls could, if not like identify the traitors easier then like exert some sort of strategy uh, because it's very difficult for you to put yourself in their shoes when it comes to the the kind of that larger competition i don't know if like th there's a limit to that that they could they could impose however right because 
the show ultimately needs to air for 12 episodes <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, can't they end. can't they can't give the the faithful too many tools because then that would could end up with all the traitors being booted four episodes in um and i don't know if they could sustain like a traitorless i mean i imagine it could actually with the amount of paranoia that was going on <laughs> but <laughs> i don't know do you feel like they should allow the traitors to sabotage missions then you know, I have had my mind changed about this because initially I was like, there has to be some sort of jeopardy, not like a total fail. That's way too, that's way too much. But it feels as though if there's a way for the traders to siphon off money for their own pot, mm. something like that. Uh, I think, so I think the shield is the only game mechanic that exists in the tasks at all. Like uh, all the rest of splitting into teams, racing around. All of it is meaningless, basically, uh, because everyone's trying to do the same thing as fast as they can. Um, and, you know, as Cordy Wickman observed, uh, like, it is supposed to be the positive part of the show. And obviously it did make, you know, get some bond a bit and work together. Um, but I don't know, it sort of feels like a bit more structured to the Faithful's um, workings might be useful. I mean, I know it's very used to sort of armchair game design and stuff because the show is great. Like, it's really good. Mm. And uh, like, it probably doesn't need fixing at all, really. Yeah, <laughs> but because uh, it's obviously hugely successful. But it's stuff like, um, imagine, if, for example, I don't know the faithful. One night they get to, uh, to be people have chosen to run supper clubs, but they get to choose who to invite, and they're dining oh, yeah. in separate rooms. Something like that, you know, mm. a bit of structure to, and then suddenly people are thinking about well, why did they invite him and not me? I thought we were friends. Mm. I thought we, something something like that, just a bit of texture to the faithful yeah. side of things, because um, it was kind of chaos because it's basically. It, a random chat in the billiards room. Some people get together in near the toilets and then some people are over here. And maybe that's better for the dynamics. Maybe you get more stuff that way. But uh, as a viewer, it felt kind of chaotic and it sort of painted the faithful, made them look stupider than I think they are. Because if I was actually in the situation like that with so many people around and so little information, yeah. I would probably be making stupid judgments as well and coming up with uh, Maddie style, you know, actual kind of conspiracy wall, uh, you know, photos everywhere, or a picture of JFK over there next to John and, you know, just kind of really get into the, the, the root of things. Uh, yeah, there's, there's other stuff like um, so they all go to their separate lodgings at night, which is um, seems essential because then they don't know who the traitors are who come back, so they all have to be separate. The weird thing about the American show is they pretend they stay in the manor. Oh, I have no idea why. There's some weird kind of differences with the American show that um, I'd love to pe- some people who know about production to dig into about why that might be more appealing to American audiences. I, I guess it's just evoking the more murder mystery style thing. Yeah. Um, there's different hosts uh, in the American version. Uh, instead of just having a load of people who don't know what the show is, uh, half the people are actually already reality stars, hence Kate being on it. And half mm. the people are just normal people, which is, has its own dynamic because uh, the reality stars don't need the money. They're there for their own pure status. And oh, uh, yeah. So this, they've introduced a completely different dynamic for that audience. Whereas in this one, they just uh, let people loose on each other. And it was, <laughs> while the people were mostly polite, it was brutal, I found, actually. I, as we've been talking about it and going back over, I was like, wow, that was, that, that thing that the person said was really, really mean, actually. <laughs> Made that person really sad. <laughs> I wonder if uh, there's, a, there's a moment where um, the traitors have to identify their target for that evening by giving them a kiss. Oh yeah, and mm. I think that was that was really exciting and mm. and tense. And I feel like maybe even though it would expose the traitors to a greater risk of being identified, maybe the traitors shouldn't be allowed to conspire in secret. 
maybe mm. they should have to conspire in public, but also there should be reasons for why the faithful would end up chatting to each other in secret as well. <laughs> mm. Maybe that maybe that wouldn't work. Maybe it would be too easy to boot the traitors too early on then. But I, I, I feel like that was one of the, the moments of extreme risk for the traitors uh, and that that was really exciting to watch it was really interesting because um i think amanda volunteered to do it in the end didn't they because you know one mm. of us has to do it and uh, there's a really interesting dynamic to that in as kind of like uh could wolf have gone and just kissed one of the guys like that and it, maybe. it was quite maybe for sure but i mean that consideration is there right if, if that's not his body language and how he's been with uh other people in the show to that point he suddenly does something a bit intimate like that even if it's just yeah. like a, a peck, like suddenly that's odd, isn't it? That's notable. Whereas, yeah, there's so many ways in which that could have fallen out as well. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. what if somebody else had come up and and kissed Amanda, you know, and she felt like <laughs> yeah. to kiss them, or maybe it was just too risky to kiss that guy, but she yeah, felt yeah. she needed to eliminate somebody, so she kisses somebody else, and and the the repercussions of that are different from what they expected and more dangerous for them. Um, yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. I, I felt like it could have done with more of that stuff. And I think there are versions of like Werewolf and Mafia, which do actually introduce uh, weirder and kind of more asymmetric dynamics, which perhaps the, the show could adopt in further seasons. I don't know. Yeah, it feels as though it's, uh, I mean, it's an amazing starting point, isn't it, for inevitable, inevitable future seasons. But do you though, think yeah. that like future contestants are going to experience the same emotional carnage as this first group? I think partly because it was so unexpected is the way... Mm. Uh, is the reason that it turned out as it did i think maybe future seasons people would be they'd come to it knowing that they shouldn't just pick on people who look a bit odd <laughs> or whatever <laughs> yeah it sometimes did boil that boil down to that like it really did yeah. like, uh, uh it was just sort of naked bias uh, I, this is the thing this the first season is always the purest in some ways and i feel as though the traitors in particular uh, especially seeing how people like john did come across they would know what, how not to act. And so mm. maybe people would be more, maybe they'd just be more polite. <laughs> I don't know what would happen. Uh, and also, if you're being whisked off to a Scottish manor, it's unlikely they'll move from there because this location, that's one of the other good things about the show, the location is spectacular. Um, the surrounding, you know, the mm. grounds and, and everything else about it, actually looking at the show and watching it and seeing these zooming uh, drone shots and helicopter shots across locks is uh, part of a, is a beautiful part of the world. Um so as soon as they rock up to that that castle, they're going to know what they're in for, right? And it's going to be... But again, I think that makes the second season interesting in a different way. But then by the third season, will it still be... Will, will it just become roped by that point? Because it's seeing how contestants respond to having seen the first season is interesting in its own right. <laughs> um, and I think there is something about the format and again, that pressure cooker nature of it Actually, some people do, I think, probably would just show their colours and not be able to keep up the pretense of, uh, you know, being, hey, I want to be the good guy in this and come out with a, you know, a, a, a good deal on the other side. Some of them might actually just sort of get so into it <laughs> during one of those round tables and actually just let fly. Uh, and that did happen at times. Uh, and it was, yeah, it, it, was, it was good because it, it wasn't just people shouting over each other a lot and what was so brutal about it was very direct targeted personal attacks <laughs> across the table and also some of the tasks which forced people to identify as a group who they thought was the least trustworthy and stuff like <laughs> yeah, this and, yeah. or you know who's the most judgmental and that poor fey lady kept oh, yeah. getting picked yeah. on like uh. 
Would you ever be a contestant on this show, Tom? Hell, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Would you be a contestant on any reality TV show? No, 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 no. Um, I think, um, first of all, like it's it just looks like a harrowing experience for most people who do it. Um, but secondly, also, uh, as sort of the media environment that where that these shows exist in, there's a sense that well, it's not a sense; it's a real consequence. If you put yourself out there on a, a public television show, um, to some corners of the media, you're fair game. Your life is fair game from that point mm. onwards. Uh, and actually, just being on telly and being on screen, and if you become a character, uh, you might just get followed around for for years, depending on you know what what the fallout of that is. And going into one of those things, like it's so unpredictable whether you'll become nasty Nick or whether you become you know a really liked character, whether you'll fade into obscurity, uh, whether you'll have people paparazzi outside your house or whatever, or just people writing stories about you or digging into your past or whatever. Just just invasion of personal privacy. The, the sense that by being on one of those shows. Uh, and you know, from the media's perspective, been seeking to gain from that makes you, in some way, uh, a public figure. And I think some of the people go onto these shows, not all, because as we talked about earlier, lots of them are seeking promotion and they're seeking, uh, you know, a higher status in the public eye. Uh, sometimes, like a lot of people, just whether it's one of these shows, perhaps might not fully anticipate that that that's a potential backlash and it, potentially a life-ruining one as well. <laughs> I mean, would what you a go on? joyous <laughs> note on which to end this podcast <laughs> no, would you go on one? Oh, fuck no no, no, no sorry so you don't court that uh that level of attention would be uh would be hateful i think uh, mm. but also i just don't think that there would be any way in which i would come across well on these shows and i <laughs> yeah, know that all too. my personal foibles of which there are many would be edited to be exposed <laughs> in the most <laughs> traumatic and uh, humiliating possible way mm. so yeah i think um bastard marsh uh, may may remain a private character rather than a, a public one. Oh, what might have been <laughs> Do you have anything else to say on the, on this topic, Tom? Or should we close it off there? I feel like we should close it off there, but um, I'm really keen to what people, hear what people think about it. Because we've been through so many shows and uh, uh, Traces in particular is just fresh on our minds. But I'm glad that we kind of covered uh, like a bunch of different genres and sort of dug into, I don't know, kind of curious to see people's thoughts bouncing off this. And if you've uh, if you've been on one of these shows, <laughs> let, let <laughs> yeah. us know what it was like. <laughs> Um, you can uh, send us questions if you like at questions at creatingcrowbar.com. You can tweet us at creatingcrowbar. You can see this as a video on YouTube at youtube.com slash creatingcrowbar. Uh, thanks, as always, to our backers on Patreon. You can back us too at patreon.com slash creatingcrowbar, or you can join us on Discord, the link for which is on our website, creatingcrowbar.com. That's it. I've been the bastard Marsh Davis. <laughs> I've been the good guy Tom Senior. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone.